Welcome to the Wealth Time Freedom Podcast, where we decode the psychology of money, uncover the principles of personal finance, and learn how to put them into practice. This is all about escaping the rut race so we can win the game of life. It's personal finance, but with a big old dollop of personal development. If you're looking for answers, looking for motivation, or looking for help, you're in the right place. Our mission for this channel is to help you get as far as you can on your own. And then if you want to go further and faster, we can help with that too. Let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. Hopefully you just enjoyed that overly dramatic intro that Terry <laughs> played at the start of every episode. Hey, people love it. <laughs> Cracks me up every time I hear it. <laughs> so hopefully you guys enjoyed our last episode where we went pretty deep into what is the stock market and the origins of that. And we've covered in episode seven and eight in the first season, the philosophy behind why we invest, how we invest and a little bit of what we invest in. Today, we want to look at how do you choose financial products? Because that's the next layer, isn't it? It is, yeah. So we really hope that the last episode helped you feel comfortable enough that you understood how the stock market works and what's going on. Because that's what stops a lot of people is just not being able to answer that question. So hopefully we've answered that. Now we're at the point, okay, cool. How do I actually get started and pull the trigger to do it? Yeah. So yeah, today's all going to be about how do we set ourselves up to make that decision, be comfortable with that decision and not stress about it. Yeah. So by the end of this podcast, um, really, we hope that you've got everything you need to know to be able to choose a financial product. Probably should start with what is a financial product. Yeah. Good point. So look, at the end of the last episode, we talked about uh, investing in the stock market, stock picking, Mm -hmm. and then trading. All of those things involve financial products. It's about choosing a vehicle to get a result, yep. pretty much. So for the purpose of today, when we're talking about financial products, we're talking about buying funds, buying an index fund. So we discussed value of diversification for managing risk in the stock market. And so when we're talking about financial products today, we're actually saying, okay, so what fund, what index funds should we be looking at and how do we actually choose those investment funds? How do we compare them to each other? And how do we go, okay, I've made a good comparison. I feel like I've now made the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Financial products, it's a very broad term. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It it literally covers any financial instrument. Thinking about a bank account, that's a financial product. Mm -hmm. But this episode, yeah, much more focused in on getting to that investment decision and building that passive income. Yeah, that's right. So we're just talking about one subset of financial products. Yeah. 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 And the reality is... (laughs) It's not that hard. No, no, it's not. I was shocked at how easy it is. It's, yeah. I was Did, kind of embarrassed, really. <laughs> I was like, you guys helped me do it. You actually pulled the trigger on it for me. And then yeah. when we went out, I now manage it myself. I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, the reality is to actually implement a strategy probably takes five minutes. Of administration. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> to set up platforms and pull the trigger and whatnot. Yeah. What does take time where you should be spending time is on the financial education. Yep. And that's ultimately what you do pay for when you pay a professional is, yep. well, you should be getting the yep. financial education. It's not always the case. Yeah. And they're doing all the analysis. They're doing all the deep thinking based on the information you've given them. Yeah. So you're right. Like there's a lot that comes before that. I'm in a bunch of forums, personal finance, investing, fire type forums, and yep. people- they 
haggle over the minutia, like the real small parts of these decisions. Mm. And they spend inordinate amounts of time trying to prove themselves right or get this, optimize these type of things. Mm. And like, what a waste of time. It should be the other way around. A lot of these people, they probably haven't spent as much time on their financial education, really understanding what they're investing in, mm. the underlying investments, how it all works, all that sort of stuff. And they've spent all their time on the tactical minutia. <laughs> and what we're saying is flip it. Make it 80% of the time you're sharpening the axe and then 20% of the time you're chopping down those trees. Yeah. I think the episode you did with Aussie Firebug, yep. he talked about it really well. People yeah, spend time trying to optimize, yep. but if they spent the same amount of time on reconfiguring their finances and, and finding a way to enjoy life more by spending less, yep. they would make a bigger uh, impact. Last month, I, I switched up my health insurance, saved 1200 bucks a year. Yep. In order for me to create twelve hundred bucks worth of income, I'd probably have to have twenty grand in the market. Yep. So essentially, you know, I I made that twenty grand <laughs> right down and there. So it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it like that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But for me to try to find that twenty grand in the market, um, how am I going to do that? Yeah, I think striking a balance between the education and then the actual implementation of it, like we said. You want to be spending time on the education because the implementation doesn't take long. Mm. And really, if you get to the point of implementation and you're in a heightened state, <laughs> mm. if you're freaking out, yep. it's probably because you haven't spent quite enough time on the education. You, philosophically, you don't understand it. You're not sure of the decision you're making because you don't feel informed enough. It can still feel like a big deal even once you get to that point, but it shouldn't be heightened to a point that you drag out that implementation process. Yeah, I reckon that's a great point. Mm. I think a lot of people are dragging their feet and are getting stuck in the minutia because it is a distraction from the decision because there is an underlying uncertainty around, oh, do I actually understand what I'm doing? Do I know all of how this works? Yep. So, yeah, really good point. That is a signal from yourself if you're stuck at that Trust point. Trust your gut. Yeah, <laughs> it's a signal from yourself. You need to go back. You need to do some more education to feel really comfortable yep. with what you're doing. And let's put the decision in its place. Like, it's not the biggest decision of your life. We always joke about this. Who you marry, who you partner up with, that is a much bigger decision. That's going to have much more important, <laughs> far-reaching outcomes on the quality of life. Implications on the quality of your yeah. life than this decision. Because, look, if you are starting yourself, you don't want to be going all in first up. You probably want to dip your toe in the water, learn how it works, and then ratchet it up as you build your comfort level. So yeah, that's probably a pretty good point too. Let's let's lower the stakes a little bit, and let's let's say you have a hundred grand, and you just you're not quite sure. Maybe you've done the education. Look, why don't you start with five grand? Nothing wrong with that. How was the process? How did it feel? Um, and then start. Okay, good. I feels really good. That was normal. Okay, let's do ten next month, and let's just now I'm just going to dollar cost average it in until I until I've got all my money in the market. Yeah. yeah. Some people will say that's not the optimal approach. We're emotional, irrational beings. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. So do what works for you. Yep. Firebugs said it really well. We don't live our life in a spreadsheet. We're not robots with this stuff. Yep. So yeah, maybe it's better to have more money in the market sooner. Yeah. I remember one of the advisors told me that. Just throw it all in. I'm like, <laughs> it's fine for you to say, mate. It's not your money. <laughs> it's so balanced and, and neutral of you to say, but you didn't work your yeah. ass off for that money. Oh, that's so, a, the hard thing about the financial advice industry is they have risk profiles. Yeah. So based on a questionnaire, it spits out saying, you're this type of investor. Yeah. You should put 70% into yep. growth stocks and 30% into defensive investments like term deposits and whatnot. Yeah. And it's obviously quite a rigid system, but it's saying, all right, you should invest 70% right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not you should slowly start here and just develop your comfort level. Yeah. Because education is what changes a risk profile. And probably the biggest part that improves your education is experience. Yeah. So they've got to come together for you then to feel comfortable with ratcheting it up. Yep. 100%. Really good point. So in terms of what we're going to cover, we're going to focus on the financial products related to investing, like we said. And what we've tried to do here is try to create a really simple way for you to understand the process that you need to go through in order to pick a product. Yep. And then in doing that, we'll talk about some of the do's and don'ts, some of the mistakes that you can make along the way so that yep. you, you can avoid those mistakes and some of the rules of thumb that can really help you with your decisions as we go. So it's really about giving you the tools, the frameworks, uh, the mindset to pull that trigger. Yeah, I think it just plays a bit of a guide. Like the do's and don'ts is really about well, how do you avoid wasting time? Because, yep. you know, we always come back to it. Time's very precious. That's our most important resource and that's the thing we want to protect. And we want to use money to get more control and more of that time back. Yep. So really, this is acting as a guide so that you don't have to waste too much time on the implementation side of things. Yep. And like we said, you've chosen your partner. It's a bigger deal. If you've already chosen your career, that's where you're going to be spending the majority of your time. Who you're spending your time with, that's a bigger decision than this one. So let's put it in its place. So our instincts are kind of a bit off with this stuff and we need to question them. And I think there's a couple of good examples for me. Like you see a lot of people going out to buy their own insurance and I've made this mistake for myself in the past. Yeah. cost me dearly. I went and got my own car insurance, got it direct, turned out to be a shit insurer, found a loophole. So when I wrote off my car, I ended up with a $40,000 bill. <laughs> yeah. cost me heaps. And that's Stiff. where you should be using a broker. And we've talked about it in the past. The value of a broker there is they understand who the good insurers are. They know the policies really well. They understand all the finer points. Mm. You don't have the time for this stuff. And they have a level of bargaining power with the insurers as well. So they're not just one-off customers with these people. They've got pools of customers. Yep. So you've got an advocate for you when you're working with a, with a broker. But a lot of people, they don't use brokers for insuring. But then when it comes to investing, they think someone else has to do it for them. And actually, it should be that around. You should mm. really learn how to do this for yourself. Do you think that's because it feels like a higher stakes decision? Oh, yeah. I think so. It feels like a higher stakes decision and it's easier to point the finger at somebody else if things don't go the way you want. Yeah. Which yeah. is, that's the harsh reality of it. We'd rather not own anything we perceive to be a mistake. Mm. Yep. Ah, and no, no doubt in my mind, it's much harder to understand insurance than it is investing. Insurance. Policies is, oh my God. How they differ. Ridiculous. <laughs> and it's the same with credit, and it's right? Numbing. It's backwards with credit too. So we're super action orientated with credit. We'll just go bang. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. Mm. When it comes to investing, we're like, whoa. <laughs> so it's backwards again. It's easier to take out a 400K mortgage than it is to invest 50K. Yeah. But I mean, like as well, like I'm going to go on this holiday. I'm just going to throw that on the credit card. I don't yeah. really think about that at all. That's a th multiple thousands of dollar decision that's going to cost you. And we, we don't think about that one too much, but this one here is going to Make it's you. It's because you get a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting observations for me. And look, if you know fifth grade maths, you know enough to be able to crunch numbers to be able to do this stuff. Like you say, it takes minutes and it's simple math. Yeah. The focus is, as we said, should be on the financial education. How do you apply it to your context so that you feel comfortable? And then this is about how do you pull the trigger? Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but they said investing is simple math with complex situations, the complex situation being your life. Yep. So yes, that's why we're saying 80% of the time considering and understanding the investment, understanding yourself before you actually then choose the product. So I think this is probably a good time to say 
we've got a few caveats <laughs> before we get into it. The first one is this is not advice. Yep. This is not us telling you to uh, choose a product or telling you exactly what to do. And the reason why I say that is because people often, they'll hear something on a podcast or they'll read something and then they'll go out and do it. And when that doesn't work for them, they'll point the finger at that person. So it's it's so crucial to be owning your decision when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, And that's important because it's critical that you stick to the strategy that you start with. And when you own a decision, you're much more likely to do that. Yeah, really good point. You hear this all the time now. This is not personal advice. And you think, oh, this is these people just trying to be all legal and all that sort of stuff. Well, the reason that's happened is because people don't own their decisions. Yep. So got to point it out. We don't know you if you're listening to this. And so we know ourselves. We know what works for us. And we're saying this is how you pick an investment. But we're not saying you should invest like us. Mm. Mm. We're just saying if you'd like to invest, then here's how to do it. The reality is when it comes to investing, the research shows that uh, the biggest cause of losses is ourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that usually comes from transitioning between strategies. So maybe market's a little bit volatile and we yeah. think, all right, this is a bit scary. I'm going to change what I'm doing. Yeah. When we own our decisions, we actually create a consistency bias with ourselves. Mm. The decision we made originally, we're much more likely to stay with it. Yeah, <laughs> from yep. a behavioral perspective. So when you own the decision, you actually reduce your own risk mm. of getting your own way mm. down the down the track. Yeah, good point. Basically, it's probably another signal from yourself that if you're feeling like you should jump in and out of things, you maybe need to go back a few steps, understand understand things better. Yep, because that uncertainty is going to cost you a lot of money every time you make a move. The middlemen make money. Yeah, and on that point, when you're feeling something, go to the education part. Mm. Don't go to the implementation or action part. Yep. yep. Don't, don't go and change something. Go and inform why you should change something or why you shouldn't. Yep. Yeah. And the next thing is have a cash cushion before you invest. If you don't have money to cover emergencies, then you've got really no place to start investing. You've got to earn the right to risk. You need to be at a place where you are comfortable enough there that if something happens in the market, yep. I've still got money that I don't need to draw from the market because we know that in the short term, the market's super volatile. We've just learned that. We're learning it every day right now. Yep. So when you put money in the market, don't think of it as a bank account that you draw from. Think of it as a present to your future self that you don't touch. And I know you can't plan for everything. Life changes and, and things change. But if you have enough liquid cash outside of it, then you don't need to start there. Yep. Yeah. And the way I think about that is uh, you feed your money machine until it feeds you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But having these things in place first is critical. Yeah. Absolutely critical. To make sure that you have that cash cushion. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I think another important one is making sure that you've got money set aside to invest in yourself and, and your business if you have one, because you're actually going to get a greater return from yourself and your business than you will in the market. Yep. If you earn $100,000 and then you invest in yourself and, and take your earning capacity to $105,000, that's an extra $5,000 a year for the next 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math. Mm. That 5000 that first year, is equivalent to having $100,000 in the market. Yep. Earning 5% income, for example. Yep. yep. So that can be the biggest return. And with the business, you're probably chasing a 30% profit margin exactly. as well. Yeah. Whereas the markets, it's a bit lower than that. So that hierarchy that we talk about from time to time. Yeah, it is important to know. I just see the market as a place to rent my money. 
that'll create an income. Yep. And then over time, the money will grow as well. But I don't bank on that. It's long-term timeframes for sure. And the other side of that is also being confident in your future capacity to earn money as well. So if you need cash to live off, mm. then don't invest it. <laughs> yeah. So if your job's vulnerable right now because of coronavirus and you've got cash set aside, don't invest it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, if you think you might need it. Yeah. Don't invest it. Yeah. 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 And we have mentioned it before with the education component, but we definitely recommend going back and listening to episode seven and eight from season one and listening to the last episode, how the share market works too, just to, to sharpen the ax um, before you swing it. And is there any resources that you think people should read before they pull that trigger? Yeah, I mentioned these three a bit in terms of the stock market. If you want to understand the stock market in Australia, read Motivated Money. If you want to go a little bit deeper and you want to understand it more globally, read the little book of Common Sense Investing from Jack Bogle and Random Walk Down Wall Street is another great book. Yep. I reckon if you read those three books, you're going to know enough to get going. Yep. And if that intimidates you... (laughs) Uh, then it might be worth considering paying somebody to give you advice. If you're not willing to do that work, then you're probably not going to know enough. All right. So when it comes to the actual financial products, let's say you've decided you've got 50 grand, you want to go out there, you want to invest it, um, you've done your education, you're ready to go. There's a few layers to it. There's Well, there's three layers to it. There's, there's two layers of products, but there's probably three layers of understanding mm. that you need to have. Now- I know that you love an analogy. I love an analogy. Tell me you've got one for the different layers. <laughs> I do, yeah. So like you say, there's a few layers to this. And the way to understand it is to think about going and eating at a mall. You're hungry, it's lunchtime, and you're like, uh, I want to go, I want to get a meal at a cafe at a mall. Good start. <laughs> um, so you can think about the mall as the investment platform. It is the container that holds all the options that you might want to go and and choose, Mm -hmm. yeah? And then in terms of those options, each of those different cafes or restaurants that you could eat at, think about those as different asset classes, okay? Where you can put your money, yeah? And then asset classes being, say, um, property is an asset class. That's right. Shares are an asset class. Cash is an asset, yep. Yep. So for example- if you think about McDonald's, that's very predictable, much like cash. Yep. <laughs> um, Trusty Big Mac. You know what you're going to get every time? There's not much risk in going to McDonald's, yeah? Now- It's probably not much reward either. It tastes good, but- Yeah. Now, there are other. There might be another cafe that you haven't frequented before that's some funky fusion of a few different, <laughs> few different cultures. Funky fusion. <laughs> that's going to be riskier. Yep. Yeah. So- a lot of people spend a lot more time on the next decision, which is the picking of the product, and they do this one. But actually, where you choose to put your money is going to have the biggest impact on your outcomes, yep. which asset class. So again, if you want to know more on these asset classes, go back to um, episode eight, How to Invest Intelligent. We actually delve into each of these and what they all look like. Yep. So that's your next decision, okay? So what mall am I going to go to, which is the platform yep. that holds all the products? And then which restaurant or cafe we're going to eat at, which asset class will I choose? Yep. The next decision down is what meal from that place will I pick? Mm. Now, that's your investment product. Um, that's essentially what picking a product is. It's that simple process. Yep. But there are a few things to think about for each of these, right? So let's walk through each layer as we go. Yeah. So when it comes to understanding the platform, like I say, it's the more you choose, but there's a couple of considerations, yeah? Yeah. So there's three important considerations. Really, when it comes to investment platforms- 
they're very similar. They're very much of a muchness, usually the same wall with different coat of paint. But there are a few differences with them to keep in mind. They are investment options. The second one is cost and the third one is features. So investment options is effectively, like you were saying, which shops exist within the mall Yep. and what meals are in, in those shops. Yep. So you might even know from the outset that you want a specific meal. You want mm. a Big Mac. Mm. So you'll actually go to a mall that has a McDonald's that yep. has a Big Mac. Yeah. You don't want to go to a mall that doesn't have Maccas. Mm. Mm. That'd be a shit mall. Yep. For you on that day, <laughs> shocker. <laughs> the second one is the cost. So when it comes to cost, it's a good time to probably say there's two different types of platforms and this determines how you actually pay for it. So the first one is there's a trading platform which you might see with the major banks all have their their trading platforms attached to them. And then you've got wrap portfolios. The difference between them is that a trading platform is more manual, a bit like having a gear stick, uh, whereas a wrap portfolio is a bit more automatic. It's a bit easier to do reporting and functionality and stuff like that. Okay. But the key difference for them is how they charge their fees. So going back to your analogy before with the mall, a trading platform charges brokerage, which is more like paying parking up front mm-hmm. to go into the mall. Whereas a wrap portfolios, it gets charged on an ongoing basis, which is more like paying per hour Yep, for parking. Yep. So depending on how you invest and how frequent you want to put money in, mm-hmm. this will actually determine what might be a better cost decision for okay. you. For me personally, I just prefer paying brokerage up front and not having to think about the ongoing costs. Yeah. Whereas someone else might look at it and go, I'd rather not pay that up, up front and pay an ongoing. Yeah. But I've done the math for me. <laughs> and I know that paying brokerage is actually going to be cheaper over the lifetime. Yeah. So to give you an example of what those costs might look like, let's say you've got $100,000 and you want to invest that in the market right now. Let's say you put it on a wrap platform, you invested the 100K and it had a 03 percent management fee that would cost you three hundred dollars for the year whereas if you bought shares every month for 12 months and let's say there's 100 grand by the end of it Mm -hmm. for example you've broken up into 12 pieces that would cost 180 dollars yeah so for me i like knowing that on any given month maybe i invest two thousand dollars it cost me fifteen dollars right now and then it won't cost me any more yeah at that platform level it's probably an important point to highlight that the reason why looking at your costs is important is because costs compound just like returns do. Yep. And the lower your costs can be, the more your return will get. That's pretty much the rule of thumb. The less you pay for things in investing, the more you'll get. For the last five years, we've worked with over 600 couples and we've helped them to get in sync, play to each other's strengths and start making the big money moves. And for the first time ever, we are lifting the lid on everything we've learned. We're running a live online webinar. And in this webinar, we're going to share exactly how our new money method works and how you can use it to find your financial fast mode and fund your big goals and dreams. If you're ready to get beyond learning and start winning together as a team, all you need to do to secure your spot is hit that link in the episode description below or go to cashflowco.com.au forward slash new money method. And hey, if you're coming along, don't forget to bring your better half. Yeah, well, it's a it's a guaranteed return. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if there is if there is such a thing, yeah. money that you don't pay for 
or spend is a guaranteed return. Yeah. yeah. So that's cost. Uh, the second part to that was features. So pretty much this just comes down to how easy is it to use. Mm-hmm. Usability is probably the major thing. If you open it up and you might be able to look at a website before you even have to open an account just to see what it looks like. But if it feels like you're stepping into the cockpit of a passenger plane, <laughs> it, it might not be the one for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is. Maybe you like that and you like figuring out what the different buttons do. Don't play around with buttons. <laughs> no, it's pretty hard to break. Yeah. But really when it comes to to the features, there might be little other cool things. I know you like Roundup. Oh, uh, yeah. I like to round up. Yeah. There's a few banks now that give you that, so it's good. Yeah. But the main one is is usability. Yep. Is it, Does it have a good interface? Is it easy for you to jump on, put money in, yep. execute a, a transaction? And maybe usability is inversely correlated to how well you do as well, because if you can access your your platform all the time and you can make moves easier, maybe it's not a good thing. You really just got to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. So you think healthy friction? It depends. If you think that you're someone's going to fiddle with your investments a lot and you're going to make money moves, then get a shitty clunky platform that's just <laughs> annoying to use. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've sort of talked to us a bit about platforms there, but if I was now wanting to figure out where do I find platforms, what are the different platforms I can get, where is somewhere I can go uh, to be able to do some of that research? Yeah. So I'd go to something like finder.com or Canstar, one of those comparison websites that pretty much does all the research for you. That's probably the easiest way to do it. I know with CanStar, they've got an investing and super section and then you just click on there and you just click on platform and yep. and it does a comparison. I think it asks how much do you want to um, invest. Yep. So it'll calculate brokerage and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's super easy to jump in there and have a look. You might also like to consider how does it fit in with what you currently have? Mm. So for me personally, I use a NAB trade account mm. because my personal banking is with NAB yep. um, because- well, I'm with them because of the fees, no fees, and you can have unlimited accounts, so it's easy to structure my banking. Yeah. But also because NabTrade had the lowest brokerage when I did the research at the time. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think it was quite the lowest. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I think there was some that were a little bit cheaper, mm. but the way that it fitted in with everything else was important for me because now when I sit down and map out my money and, and manage it on the first day of the month, I, I'll do a, tr- a transfer mm. from my NabTrade from my bank account Yep. In there, execute it, takes me three or four minutes. Yep. If that. Yeah. Um, so so that whole ecosystem works well together and it's good for you and it's the, the way you want to be charged as well. Yeah. So yep. I could probably save an extra, you know, four or five dollars per month on brokerage. Yep. But I'd rather save myself five or 10 minutes. Of time. Yeah. Of time, yep. if, if that means it does. Yeah. And I'm in a bunch of different forums around personal finance, investing, five bucks, Really got a good one as well, and and in his group, a lot of people in there talk about self wealth, you know, cheap brokerage. That's a that's a pretty popular platform for people as well. Yep. But I myself personally, because I was set up through you, I have that rap platform. Yep. So I've just got that more automatic type one. Yeah. If you've worked with an advisor in the past, yep. then it's probably pretty likely that you've got a rap platform, mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I think trading accounts have become easier to use over the last five to ten years. Yep. So it's becoming easier for everyone to jump on and use that. Yeah. Whereas it, it wasn't that easy. It was more like a cockpit a while yep. back. Yeah. So advisors are probably have always sort of pushed that one. Mm. I mean, it's easier for them to work with you yep. on your portfolio. But yeah. Much, much to muchness. Okay. But how long should I spend on this platform decision? Do you think? <laughs> I don't know. 10 minutes. Yeah. It doesn't need to take much longer than that, right? Nah. Oh, well, I don't know what you're going to do with eight of those minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go to one of those sites. 
have a look around at a forum, make a quick decision on this one. Just get going. Yeah, yeah. just do a quick comparison site. You'll find that, yeah, it's going to be the difference between if you're investing a couple of thousand at a time or whatever it might be, it might be five, uh, $10, 15 or 20 or something like that. Yeah, just do some quick back of the napkin math. Boom. Yeah, good to go. Let's look at next level down. Asset allocation, okay? So we've gone into the mall. We've chosen which mall we're going to now. Okay, cool. I'm going to Westfield. Now I'm in there. Is there a Macca's? I'm wondering. So now we're at that point <laughs> where we're deciding, okay, which which restaurant or cafe am I going to go and spend my money at? Where am I going to put my money to work? What do we need to consider here? Do we need to be thinking about the different characteristics or the nature of the different asset classes? Yep. So I think we talked a bit about it in episode eight where... We talked about Australian shares, for example. Yep. The nature of Australian shares is to be quite high in income and a, a little bit lower in growth compared to international equities, for example, just because our tax system's different. Yep. You might be thinking about maybe you've, you've got a home, you've got a property, so you've got a big stake of your personal wealth in that asset class, for example. Which is real be, estate. Yeah, yep. which is real estate. So you might be looking to diversify into another asset class just to make yourself feel more comfortable. Also considering where you're investing in superannuation. Yep. Really, it's just making sure that it all complements each other yep. and the job that it's doing is is serving you. Yeah, like good example here. I was talking to a mate of mine the other day and he's kind of coming to the pointy end of this decision. He's like, okay, cool. What should I do now? I'm like, well, you've got to consider where you are right now. Where's your money at work? And most of his wealth is tied up in his home, but he's also has a stake in his family farm. And I said, okay, so do you know where your super is? He's like, oh, it's balanced sort of balanced portfolio type thing. And I said, well, okay, so let's say a good chunk of your wealth now is in real estate. In some of it will be spread across a couple of other asset classes. Mm -hmm. So now your decision is, what do you want to do with the rest of this? Where do you want to put this one to work? What job does it need to do for you in the future? I can't answer that question for you. That's one you need to answer for yourself. Yep. So yeah, you've got to really just ask yourself, how hard do I want this money to work? And what do I want the ride to be like? Because remember, that's what we talked about in that episode seven. We kind of talked about the behavior of these different asset classes. Cash is a lot like a train. Property is a lot like a ship that turns slowly. Whereas shares is a lot more like a car that's pretty zippy, very agile, gets you to a bunch of different places very quickly. Yeah. But it, it can be a bit a bit more of a bumpy ride at times. Yeah. And you yeah. can spend a lot of time on that, looking at how do the different asset classes move yep. when things happen. Yep. So some some asset classes might move upwards when this happens and the other one moves down and they cancel each other out and all yep. of a sudden this makes it less volatile. Yeah. And you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole with that. And, or where know, the portfolios and get really... That's, yeah, it's where <laughs> your, your technical analysts will be. Yeah. Figuring out how to make it a non-bumpy ride along the yep. way. Yeah. The way, to be honest, the way I think about it is what purpose is my portfolio looking to serve? Yeah. And for me, that is to give me income so that I can live well. Yeah. So I base it effectively solely on that. Yeah. Feeling comfortable with the risk that I'm taking around being in one asset class too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm fully, fully in equities, um, in super, out of super, all equities for me because same thing. I want income. I want growth over time. It's important to note that I could still get income if I was investing in something like fixed interest, like a bond. Yep. I just need to have a lot more money invested in that asset class to create the same amount of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I should probably say there too, so that that income component for me is outside of superannuation. Yep. Whereas inside superannuation, knowing that I'm not going to touch it for- That's more growth, yeah. The next 35 years or whatever it might be, I still want to be able to capture 
the big players internationally. You look at Apple and Microsoft and mm. Amazon and all these big players, Google, you still want to have a, a net over those bigger companies. Mm. So for me, inside super, I'm more orientated towards a growth component. Yep. yep. Whereas in my personal name, uh, more income. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm the same as you. Okay, that's good. So we've talked about now understanding the platform, thinking about asset allocation. And again, that's a really personal decision. In terms of how long we should spend on this one, what, what would you say about this one? Yeah, so I think you've probably done a chunk of this in the education part. Yep. You've probably already answered that question. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you probably don't need to spend much time on that now. Yep. yep you Hopefully you've already answered that question. Should have sharpened the axe on this one already. Yep. Okay, so now we've looked at the, the platform. We've looked at asset allocation. So we've gone to the mall and we've picked a restaurant to eat at. Now we're going to pick a meal. So now we're going to actually choose the product. Mm. What are the things we need to think about here now? Yeah. So when it comes to actually choosing the investment that you want to buy, and it might not be one, it might be a few different ones. Firstly, I'd disregard buying individual companies. If you've listened to this part of the podcast, then you'd realize that we talk about index funds a lot Mm. and diversifying your portfolios. So we're more talking around what does the fund look like? Then there's two different types of funds usually. There's actively managed funds or there's passive investment funds. Actively managed is not the index. It's actively managed is you've got a fund manager that is trying to use their expertise to uh, beat the market. Yep. Um, so they're buying and selling and, and trying to time things. You're still getting diversification. Yep. But they're making a human decision about what those stocks are as opposed to just mimicking what the market's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So a passive investment is just saying, all right, what's the biggest and the best? What's the index mm. that we want to track? There's actually no decisions to be made. No, yeah. no, no decisions, more of an algorithm yeah. based on um, the size of the uh, profitability of the business. Which is why it's cheaper, right? Yeah. There's no middlemen. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part is mm. the less people between you and owning the investments, the more you keep. Yeah. 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 More people sort of reaching in. Yeah, and if you want really dig into this and understand it better, point you back to that book, Little Book of Common Sense Investing. I don't think anybody explains it or describes it better than Jack Bogle. Nah, no, yeah. that's right. So the costs that come along with your managed fund yeah. is it's always on a percentage-based fee. So you might have been starting to hear about ETFs and stuff like that, the managed investments, how you actually own it. But ultimately, what it come, the cost comes down to is it's either called an indirect cost ratio or a management expense ratio, yeah. ICR and MER. Yep. Usually they're the same thing. Yep. <laughs> I think they've changed the language. Oh, they love this. A they bit. love these acronyms because it makes you think it's really complex and it's above you and you need an advisor for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think and originally there was MER and it was just specific to the management cost. And then they've created indirect cost ratio, which is captures that plus some other inconspicuous costs that they weren't accounting for. Yeah. But it's not that difficult to, yeah. to grasp. Yeah. But ultimately what you do is you'll find out that well, how much does that managed fund cost? And I'd usually say if it's under 0.4%, then it's probably passively invested. Yep. It's a passive fund. If it's over 1%, then I'd say it's actively, actively managed. Yeah, yeah, that's people taking their little slice. Yeah, yep. and and quite often they get up to you know 1.5 or 2% yeah. in fees. And so- it's a good rule of thumb that anything over 1% is very expensive and probably going to mean that over time you don't beat the market. Yeah, because they're keeping more of your return. Yeah, you remember reading from Little Book of Common Sense Investing what 
1% does over a lifetime. It's pretty shocking. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. that it costs you. Yeah. So it'd want to be a bloody good fund manager yep. and he'd want to do well, which we've never seen happen. And that's why a lot of people say, check your bloody super because where your super's invested, yep. what those cost ratios are. They can be costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. Some of the old yep. platforms, for some reason, AP comes to mind. There's a few different ones, the older ones that it can cost around two, two and a half percent. Yep. So that that is costly oh. over your lifetime. If you haven't looked at it for five, 10 years, please just find out what that percentage is. Here's a good way to think about it. You have a multi-million dollar inheritance waiting for you, but you actually can't get it for another 20, 30 years. But every year, someone's coming and skimming. A little bit of money. Legit, you're yeah. actually not really paying much attention to, but they're skimming it every year. They're skimming it every month and it's going to add up to two or 300 grand. Yeah. Um, and whoever's skimming it probably has an office in a sky rise in the middle of Melbourne. Or they're Sydney. driving around in a Beamer. <laughs> they're laughing at your expense. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. Yeah. So the cost there then is, well, how do I keep that MER or ICR to a minimum pretty yeah. much? So passive investment without our focus. So- with some of the Australian index funds now via ETFs, I think the lowest you can get down to is 0.07%. Yep. I think BetaShares A200 is 0.07%. Yep. The Vanguard products are pretty close. Yeah, I think 0.15 or something like that. There was a no-cost one. I don't know how that works, but... I think they did a no-cost one, but they it had to be on a certain platform and then they charged you on the platform yeah, side. Yeah, it's not free. Nothing's so free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, If it's free, it's, there's a cost somewhere it's else. It's free, you're getting screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a really, you want to be thinking then. So, you've got the platform and then you've got your actual investment. So, two layers of cost there. Yep. So, you want to take into account both of those. Mm -hmm. to do the math, run the numbers, um, see what it comes out at. Because... Ultimately, for me, when I think about my portfolio, I never really want to have it cost more than 0.2, now yeah. that the management costs have become so cheap. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you're not including there your brokerage costs over time, but just what it's costing you ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, yeah. I'm paying for my parking up front yep. um, because I don't want those ongoing costs over time. So, now you've got the, the costs that are associated with the platform, and then you've got the costs associated with the actual underlying investment, what you own on that platform, you want to take into consideration both of those together yep. and come up with the cost. As a bit of a guide, like you said before, I'd probably nearly be aiming for keeping that below 0.3% in total. If you're paying brokerage, so paying your parking up front, it might even be less. So let's use that 0.3% as an example. If you've got $50,000 invested, it's going to cost you $150 or less yep. a year. Yep. That's cheap. That is cheap. It's also good, I think, if you come up with like a, a threshold you won't go beyond because what that'll do is it's automatically going to eliminate 80% of your options and it's going to make it easier to make that decision. Yep. Because you just be like, okay, show me just everything that's underneath this in terms of the combination of those comparisons. Yeah, all right. So that's now narrowed my decision very considerably. Yep. That's going to make choosing a lot easier. Yep. Yep. Because there is lots of different options out there. Mm. With this stuff, it really comes down to, is it really passive? How much does it cost? Yep. Is it easy to use? Yep. Yep. And this is the point where it's as simple as, is the money going to work where I want it? Does it meet my cost criteria? And is it on my platform? Mm -hmm. If it meets all those three, now I should probably just have a handful of choices that I could choose from. And it's probably much of a muchness. You don't want to waste too much time on that decision from there. Yep. So when you got down to that narrow point, well, how long should that decision take you? Uh, 
Yeah, a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Are there any resource or resources that can help us make these comparisons quickly and run this quick math? Yeah, so same as I mentioned before, I think using CanStar or Finder or something like that. Yep. That'll do the, do the legwork for you. Yep. But then just run the numbers at the end of it saying, all right, does this make sense? So from your perspective, like what's your strategy here? So where have you got your money invested? Yeah, so for me personally, this is actually about to change a little bit just because I'm setting up a loan to go with my investments. So up until this point of time, I've had a pretty even split between a listed investment company called Whitefield and an index fund called Vanguard Australian Share Index Fund. Mm-hmm. Our VAS is the, the code for that one. And the reason why I've had that split is because I love Peter Thornhill's philosophy and I've heard him speak a few times and I've spent a bit of time with him sort of discussing these things. And I'm curious to see what it looks like to take what he calls the lead out of the saddle, which is taking resources out of the index. Mm-hmm. And Whitefield has been concentrated um, more on the industrials. Yep. Um, so it's still a diversified fund yep. and very low cost, but takes the resources out. Yep. Whereas When you say resources, what do you mean? Uh, so your boom and bust industries, so your, your mining and, yep. and those types. Um, whereas the Vanguard is capturing the whole market completely indexed. But that's about to change for me. Yep. <laughs> so we're changing our investment strategy only slightly because we're actually setting up a, a loan account to be able to, to gear this one up. Mm-hmm. We've discussed previously that I'm not against debt, especially useful debt when it's going to be cash flow positive. Yep. So I'm using a, a NAB equity builder. Yep. Uh, loan account because they've just done a 2% discount on that product. It used to be too expensive and now it's not. Yep. And it doesn't have the Whitefield on the approved product list. Gotcha. So when thinking about the the uh, platform, the mall has changed me a little bit. Yeah. So I can't get the same meal, mm. which I'm okay with because I'm very happy with the index side. So it'll actually just be a 50% split then between the beta shares A200 and the VAS. Gotcha. Index funds, yep. ETFs. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What about you? I'm pretty similar. My product's a bit different though, but the same philosophy. So again, through the work that I've done with yourself, I'm on a platform, an MLC platform, and the product for me is Redpoint. The same idea, which is basically a focus on industrials, taking the resources out of it. My idea is to get that to a point and then go back to just a pure index approach because yeah. that is a little bit of active management. Whitefield's a little bit of active management. There's people involved in those decisions. Yeah. So it's somewhere between when you're talking about a listed investment company or an SMA like mine is, there's people up there making decisions. They're not trading a lot, but they are trading. Mm. And that does come at a bit of a cost. Yep. Um, so for me, it's almost like an experiment, right? I want to know as well whether, whether Peter Thornhill's right. And it's what they call a split test. So when I, once I get to a certain point, I'm going to start sh- shoveling it the other way straight into completely passive. And then we'll, we'll draw our conclusions after 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, I actually would have stuck at that too. Yeah. I wouldn't have changed my approach because I'm curious to see how that split test goes as well. Yeah. But that's just the the evolution of our thinking as well yep. and the evolution of our approach to it. As we learn more and as things change, all of a sudden this opportunity has arisen and I think it's a, a good decision. Definitely ran the numbers on it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I'm very comfortable with it. So I'm happy to pivot a little bit and, um, yeah. and make a couple of small changes. You're not talking about a change in strategy. You're just talking about some tactical changes to the yeah. same philosophy. Yep. Your philosophy hasn't changed. Yep. And that's probably... I think what we talk about, we talk about staying the course, you choose your philosophy and you stick with your philosophy, but the way you enact it, 
the vehicles, the mechanisms that you choose to do that, they can and will change. Yeah. Um, oh, and no, I wouldn't be changing if I didn't mm. have to. Yeah. Because um, there is a risk in that, that, well, the time between selling down that one that I had to then buy the next one, or well, one, there's obviously a capital gain. I think right now it's going to be okay. Yep. But you've also got the risk of, well, what if the market, what does the market do mm. in that time it takes to take it out of there, to put it into there? Yeah. Which I'm, I'm okay with, to be honest. I look at it and think it's over the next 80 years and mm. those decisions don't really bother me. Yep. But it is a small risk as well. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. That's good. Hopefully we've answered that question and hopefully we have combated a lot of the doubt and a lot of the uncertainty that gets in the way of, of people pulling the trigger and having a go at this stuff for themselves. I will just kind of go back to the point you made at the start. If you're doing this first up, there's no rule that says you have to go all or nothing. Mm. You can go a little bit at a time, see how it feels and then ratchet it up as you get comfortable, as you build experience, because yes, it's great to read all these books, but it's only when you start acting on the information that you start learning what works for you. Yeah. You don't have to dump your life savings. No, <laughs> no. please don't do that. <laughs> if you guys have any questions, if you love the episode, please let us know. Reach out to us at Cashflow Dojo on Instagram. Keep rating the podcast too. We love awesome. those people that are coming through and letting us know on iTunes and rating it. Petra Jolly, I'm looking at you. Thank you for your last comment. So yeah, if this has been valuable for you, let us know, act on the information and share and subscribe as well because we're going to be putting out more of this stuff as we go. The next episode, we're actually going to be talking about how do you know you've made a good financial decision? We're going to walk yeah. through a bit of a framework to help you tick every box. Yeah. And just on the rating and subscribing the podcast, this is actually very valuable for us and other people because if you do that, it means this gets into the ears of more and more people. Mm. We've actually had a few people that have just started working with us and they've said, we've got so much value from it. Mm. We're so glad we came across it. Mm. By subscribing and, and rating the podcast, it just means more people can stumble across it. So yep. it, it helps everyone. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on uh, the next one.